Our three-man wolf pack is a tandem this week. Darren Millard along with Kevin Woodley, InGoal Radio, the podcast. David Hutchison, co-founder of InGoal Magazine, is on assignment. It's a great time to be on assignment right now with all the equipment unveiling that's taking place as we go into the spring and the summer. Uh, Woody, we have got a lot going on today. Our feature interview brought to you by Sense Arena is with Eric Fichot. Our gear segment is the Bauer Hyperlite Gloves. And we also have uh, a bit of a conversation that we want to get into regarding the trade deadline that is fast approaching as the schedule around the NHL hits a feverish pitch in April. It is jammed. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's evolving quickly, as I found out last night here in Vancouver with the cancellation of the Canucks and the Calgary right. Flames. One of those moments where I was listening to another podcast on my way into the rink and thought, maybe I should turn on the radio. I'm glad I did, because the first thing I heard was, hey, by the way, game's off. So I saved myself another 45 minutes on my hour-long commute, busted a U-turn, came back home and started prepping for the Ingle Radio podcast. Um, it is an exciting time. It is fresh gear season. Hutch is out there busy right now shooting uh, photos, uh, doing some on-ice testing procedures with our new CCM E-Flex 5 set. We're in the hockey shop with Cam this week, talking about the new Bauer Hyperlite gloves. And speaking of fresh gear in the hockey shop, it's where you need to be right now if you want to get your fresh gear the fastest. You've seen the customizers launch, CCM E-Flex 5, Bauer Hyperlite. Uh, we're what? We're a little over a week away from the launch of the, the true customizer and the ability to order that gear. Well, once you've played on the computer, and created your beautiful design, that dream set, it's time to order it. You can order Eflex 5 now. You can order Bauer Hyperlite now. And what better place to order it than at the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com through Cam. We walked through over the past couple of segments several of the special features on each line, but there are other custom tweaks you can make. Cam and his staff have it all dialed in. They know what you need in your game. They know what options are going to fit and feel what way when you hit the ice to make sure that you order equipment that works for your style. It's why we shop at the hockey shop and go to the hockey shop or Darren goes to the hockey shop.com for his needs. And it's why you, it's why you should too. So excited to look at the, the latest and greatest. Um, and for the rest of you, I suggest you either visit them in person or check them out online too, to, to see what's up and what's fresh. They've got great reviews up right now, already overviews of, both lines, as well as a lot of the new Eflex stuff that's coming out at retail, the full Eflex 5 line on April 23rd. So it is an exciting time of year. And we may miss Hutch right now, but we'll have him for the feature interview with Eric Fischel. And if you have any questions uh, when you're on the hockeyshop.com, uh, uh, just give them a call and uh, bounce ideas off them or bounce questions off them, even if it's just the smallest uh, query. They'll be very happy because they're goaltenders too. Uh, they love uh, talking uh, shop when it comes to stuff happening in the crease. And yeah, Hutch uh, does stop by with the feature interview with Eric Bichot, who played 10 years pro and uh, was, was a high draft pick, first round draft choice of the Toronto Maple Leafs and, uh, and is now a TV analyst. And he's got some great opinions, great comments about uh, where this game has been and uh, where it is going. Uh, but out of the gate, uh, Fichot, a man that, uh, he, I mean, he was traded before he even played a game in the National Hockey League. And here we are inching up on the National Hockey League trade deadline. Hearing the, the same names bounced uh, around uh, over and over, that Colorado needs to fill a vacancy, that uh, a team like Edmonton may take a ch chance and uh, and uh, stock up and provide a little bit of insurance, and it's Dubnik, it's Reimer, 
It's Jonathan Bernier, uh, although there's some questions about uh, health and whether he could uh, step right in. Uh, If you could pick one name, who would be the the goaltender that you could plop in there uh, for a team that needs some some help right now? Well, the name that I I find I'm not hearing very, very much, and maybe it's because his team isn't willing to trade him because now that he's back and healthy, they've seen how important he is after snapping an 18-game winless streak is Linus Allmark with the Buffalo Sabres. Like it's, it's almost like people have forgotten he's a pending UFA. Um, you know, maybe there is an intention to resign there. Maybe the Sabres don't want to let him go. And I think that would be wise because when I look at some of the numbers on ClearSight Analytics, like over the past couple of seasons, when healthy, and that is a question mark because a big part of being a number one goaltender is being eligible for selection and being able to go out there and play. And that's been a trouble the past couple of years, but when healthy, he has outperformed that defensive environment by a pretty considerable margin between sort of, you know, 1.3% to and, and up on the save percentage scale. So like those are numbers, like when I looked at Cal Peterson going into this season and we talked about predict, predicting guys who were going to have breakouts and Cal was one of them and he sort of lived up to it. Um, because the reason I picked him is because he had similar numbers to Allmark over the past couple of seasons and was trending in the right direction. And when you consider the environment that Linus has been behind in Buffalo, like, like that's the name that I would probably be looking at in terms of the most upside. And maybe if it's not at a trade deadline, um, it would be as an option in free agency this summer, you know, should he not stick with the Sabres? I just feel like there's now, statistically, there's definitely something there. And obviously, we've had a chance to have him on the Ingle Radio podcast. I like the way he thinks the game. And you know, like I said, the only thing that sort of the only question mark I had was the ability to stay healthy. But when he is, he's been really good for them. And yet I just don't hear his name as often as I feel we maybe should. You mentioned uh, if the long-term play is to play in Buffalo. I wonder why he hasn't signed yet or they haven't. And maybe maybe snapping the streak and playing as well as uh, as he has since uh, coming back and settling things down. Maybe that earns him even a few more dollars. But if he hasn't signed yet, uh, I can't imagine that Buffalo would hang on to an asset uh, where they are in their program. Yeah, and it's, I mean, let's be honest, it's it's tough situation there, right, for everyone. Yeah. I mean, losing wears on everyone. And it's, you know, frankly, it just feels like something, the changes seem need to be so sweeping or at least it feels like that way from the outside that that you kind of really don't know what's going on there, to be honest, Darren. And frankly, probably don't, you know, if I'm honest, don't pay enough attention to sort of some of the things going. It's, it's kind of easy to ignore them right now outside of that streak. But like I said, when I look at his numbers, I just, I just feel like there's a there's a number one goaltender there. And, and when he's healthy, he's kind of played at that level. And as we hear some of the names, some of the familiar names bounced around, names we've heard in the past, I just I don't hear his enough, and I and I think that his level of play over the past couple of seasons would warrant a little more consideration. I wonder where the dollars and the term would come into with Linus Allmark, and and I ask that uh, because Thatcher Demko news coming out uh, of the Lower Mainland with a five year, twenty five million dollar contract that, uh, as of uh, recording right now, is not official official with the National Hockey League, it hasn't been announced by the, by the Canucks, but uh, you were first on it to to pick up in the tweet by. Uh, Francesco Aquilini and the uh, the ownership group uh, with the Vancouver Canucks is is that where the Thatcher Demko extension was thought to slot in? I got to be honest with you, I'm a little surprised um, at the term and the dollar. I had him, you know, honestly, I, I 
I kind of pegged him sort of in that Tristan Jari, in between Tristan Jari and Jordan Bennington, sort of coming off a cup, the two-year extension he took there. And maybe you think about Mackenzie Blackwood, although his was just his second contract, and this is Demko's third, and Blackwood signed a three-year deal for 2.8. Um, you know, I kind of thought we were looking at Jari plus numbers, so maybe around $4 million on, on th- a three-year deal, which would be one year of unrestricted free agency. And obviously the club likes what they see in Thatcher Demko and what's not to like. He's like second in the NHL in goals saved as we record this right now behind only Marc-Andre Fleury and actually pulled slightly ahead of Andre Vasilevsky recently. So, you know, he's having a hell of a season, his first run as a number one goaltender. And they decided to buy three unrestricted free agency years and that costs a little more. And so, you know, they pay a little more per season, which creates an, you know, it only adds to a cap crunch next year. They have to sign Pedersen and Hughes. But I kind of look at this like it, it's got the potential to be a massive win for the team. Like if Demko continues, and I've heard a lot of people say, oh, he's still getting better. He's still improving. Like, I don't know that you're getting better than second, you know, top five in the NHL. Like, I think you'd if he performs at this level the rest of the contract, you, you consider that a win and you're probably getting value in years three through five on this. And so that's that's the upside for the Vancouver Canucks. Now, the downside is it's a small sample. And we've seen other goalies ride ups and downs. And part B to that is like they still haven't re-signed their goaltending coach in Ian Clark. And that's where I was going to go yeah, next. That's uh, that's. Does this make it more likely that that Ian Clark is re-upped when you put more uh, a term into Thatcher Demko, who has been groomed under Ian Clark? It kind of makes sense, no? Right, like. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Buying a $25 million car and then you cheap out on the mechanic who's going to tune it, right? Like, like, you know, yeah. there's, there's, there's clearly, and listen, like Demko is a, is a high skill, high talent, high character. We've had him on the podcast before and like, you know, just a, one of those guys that leaves no stone unturned. And so he's going to figure things out if the, even if the voice changes in terms of goaltending coach, but they've had so much success together. Plus, we've sort of seen this with other guys that were, you know, we've seen, you could argue maybe Jacob Marks from this year is, I think there's an injury there probably that's, that's affected his play because he was gangbusters out of the gate, missed some time, hasn't been the same, you know, in the past month since coming back. But I, I just don't understand why you would break up the band over a small ticket when you're investing such a big ticket in your goaltender. And yet there's, those are still all the indications of what's going to happen here. So um, it's not like Demko's going to fall apart. It's not like he can't develop rapport with another goalie coach. I just don't know why you would change that mix. And yet all indications are that that's what they're going to do. And, you know, it's it's strange times. Obviously, budgets are tight. But, you know, to spend that much money on on the goaltender, to make that kind of investment in the goaltender and not to sort of invest in the person that's helped him take this step over the past year, leaves me scratching my head, and yet all indications continue to be that that's what's going to happen. It's a tough time if you're looking for your game, and your game can vanish when you're playing every second day or three out of four days on a regular basis, the way that the April schedule is, unless you're in one of those COVID pauses. Darren Millard, along with Kevin Woodley, In Goal Radio, the podcast uh, presented by Source for Sports Surrey, The Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com. Great people over there. They know their stuff. Lean on them. So uh, is is this going to be a month where backup goalies are going to earn every cent because they're going to be playing behind some tired, fatigued teams? And I mean, we've seen some games get out of hand, and it's just going to be one. It's not a goalie rotation. It's going to be goalie survival in, in the month of April and May. 
Yeah, I mean, looking at some of these schedules and as the back-to-backs pick up, and the, it's not even just the back-to-backs. It's that they they create, you know, three and fours and four and six and not as much travel, so there's not much wear and tear there, but you're really going to have to manage rest as much as you're managing the games. Uh, tough to sort of find the time to spend extra time with your goalie coach amid all this, and especially if you're playing all the time, if you don't have a you know a guy that you can go to to give you a day off and give you a rest and give you a break. It's, it's going to be a lot of stress, a lot of pressure um, on the goaltenders and nights. Uh, you know, I think you pointed out Darren on Twitter or you called it, uh, you know, on your show down there, like a week ago, like we're into blowout season here. Like if a team doesn't have its a game and they get behind big early, like it's human nature is going to be down. Yeah. And we've seen that we've seen some lopsided scores and you know, it's funny. It's kind of reflective in a, in a sort of small way of what I've heard from goalie coaches around the league over the past couple of years. You just can't survive anymore without your A game. Like it used to be as a goalie, a number one goalie back when they were playing, like they would get through a 60 start season nights where they just didn't have it, but they battled or they relied on technique and and they managed to survive. So many goalie coaches and goalies tell me now, like if you don't have your A game, your B game means you're giving up five because there's just no margin for error. So you add, add that into playing behind a tired team um and nights like that it's it could get away from me in a hurry look at get montreal and and edmonton just this week right like edmonton had its schedule all kinds of disrupted um and as a result they end up sitting in montreal for four days they go to toronto play twice they come out of toronto and go back to montreal to for them a back-to-back montreal's coming off a week off and it was no contest like Carey price had probably well not statistically at least the easiest shutout of his career 17 shots Like Edmonton had nothing in that game. And I think you're going to see a lot of sort of what I guess I would call scheduled losses. And for the goaltenders that are in those game, like it's one thing to have a scheduled loss. We could end up seeing a scheduled blowout and it's how do you sort of survive them and not allow your your, your confidence to disintegrate behind those types of performances. Let's keep track of how many teams do go to that uh, number one guy, complete day off, dress your second and your your taxi squad goaltender. It, it may become even more prominent than the dabble that we've seen. And I, I think that we've seen, uh, watched it a little bit more than I expected already. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next six weeks or so uh, going through it. Uh, we have uh, a handle on things, but we're going to deal with the gloves and the Bauer Hyperlite uh, mitts. Uh, on our gear segment presented by the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Uh, Cam and Woody spending some time. We did the the pads last week uh, dealing with the the benefits, the changes, and the advancements in the Bauer Hyperlite gloves. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports, where... If Cam hits me with that blocker, we're about to have a good old-fashioned Donnybrook. Um, clearly, he's a little excited about the launch of the Bauer Hyperlite. Last week, we told you about the pads and some of the new features on the new Bauer Hyperlite pads. We teased you a little bit about the gloves. Today, we're going to walk through those gloves, walk through the blocker, because trust me, when it comes to the Bauer series, a blocker is not just a blocker. Um, Cam, I'm going to let you get started, uh, just because I don't want you to actually hit me. Some of the new features. Let's start with the glove. 590 break, but there are some changes. Or what we, we think of as a 590 break. You know what? I was so excited to talk about the block, but I guess we'll talk about the glove first. My show, my show, my show. Talk about the glove. 
<laughs> 60 degree brake, got a lot like that CCM 590. You're bringing your thumb to your index finger, style of closure. Very, very good closure out of the box as they proved with their 2X Trapper and their uh, Ultrasonic. They improved on uh, both of that. What you're going to see in terms of a, a bit of a redesign is the actual palm itself in terms of how it breaks. This is aiding to improve the closure of the glove over an extended period of time. Um, they're still featuring their catch light material, which aids in that overall additional um, closure out of the box feel. Um, you're still getting their pawn protection in terms of the palm. Uh, both the gloves we are uh, holding are their game ready uh, protection. Um, so it does have that still that felt layer and then that pour on underneath. Um, overall, one of the bigger features that you're going to see stock double T as opposed to the single T that you found in the 2X. Strapping on the back end. We can zoom in and we can show a little bit more of this. Um, basis of what it's going to mean though for you is that you can get that tighter fit without affecting the closure of the glove. This neoprene backhand strap pulling onto the Velcro really gives that connected tight fit, really helping to wrap your hand all the way around the break of the glove. So excellent control feel, great feel out of the box, great closure, that's pretty awesome. Okay, and uh, they did change slightly in terms of the angle coming off the thumb. So again, to help create that deeper pocket, uh, retain more pucks, a feel that, you know, I'm, I think I mentioned it last week's uh, the tees when we were going over the pads, you know, that's the, those are the changes that sort of got a guy like Cam Talbot into their glove. Um, now onto the blocker, uh, because again, a blocker is not just a blocker. Um, walk us through some of the keys to the new Hyperlite blocker. I think the first thing is when you put your hand in it, um, and we talked about this with the ultrasonic line, less is more in goaltending quite often. Less is certainly more when it comes to less material in the blocker palm creates a better feel something they sort of took from their player line with the ultrasonic last year they have carried it over here and it really just like there's no sort of wrinkled material it's just a great feel less bunching and you know one of the things is like how do you improve on what was arguably one of the best blockers already out there on the market with the 2x uh, you improve the hand feel that less bunching in the hand which is noticeable to me right off the bat uh, and then you just improve the balance point of it it was already great balance. Now it's even better. Uh, you didn't have to make it any thinner because it was already a thin blocker. Um, it's a super, super lightweight, but because of it, you have the exact name for it on this one. I'm going to put you on the spot. We talked about it last week with the pads. They increased the rebound sort of coefficient off the pads with what they call their rebound boost core, and they've altered the material in the blocker as well. So uh, by their testing, 15% more active rebounds off the blockers. And if you listen to our podcast last week, we had Beck Warm of the Carolina Hurricanes on, and he switched to Bauer just over the past offseason, and he couldn't believe how hot the rebounds come off the blocker. Guess what? They're actually hotter now. Great for your control. Great for putting the puck out of play. Great for putting the puck where you want it to go, as opposed to just deflecting and getting it locked. Like for us beer leaguers, that jackass that won't leave you alone and keeps chirping you. His buddy takes a shot from the point, little steer, you got him. Well, yeah, yes, we'll, we'll go with that. Custom features. So, something a little bit exciting. Uh, Kids, don't try that at home. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> don't do what Johnny Don't does. So, there's an additional option here that we haven't seen from Bauer, but something that's been available in the pro category for quite a long time. So, this is something that you specifically have to ask us about. 
being us, myself. Uh, there's a two-piece option. So if anybody remembers the old One X blocker, this is now something that is available at the custom level. Uh, it's a pro custom option. Um, so they're higher end custom out of their two options. It's an option you might not see on their customizer, but you can get because that's the beauty. The customizer is launched, folks. Even though these aren't at retail, the customizer is launched. And that means you can order your custom set from Cam, including this option. So make sure you contact him. Keep going. So why you would want that? Uh, if you ever did have a 1X blocker. A lot of guys love them. Exactly. And a lot of it was just, again, about the feel, the balance point, and the centered hand position in particular. Something that is available. Ask me about it. We can figure out how to get one into your hands. Any other custom options that we should know about or think about? I like the, uh, the molded foam on the back of the, back of the cuff. Removable thumb pillow. Um, again, just an additional connectivity feel for uh, the blocker itself. Personally, I like it just because it cleans up some of the void space in the blocker, but you know, yours to choose for sure. So now not a removable thumb pillow in terms of I can pull this out of a stock one, but removable in terms of you can choose whether you order it or not. Custom option. Exactly. Uh, the other thing we talked about it, we saw it on, on ultrasonic as well. You've got the elastics on both sides of the cuff. So sort of maintain that connected feel and still able to really turn it over quite easily out of the box and have that rotation. And like we said, steer those pucks. Okay, maybe not at the guy at Beer League who's been chirping you. I apologize. That was a little over the top. I haven't had enough coffee this morning. Cam has, however, and we're going to let him get back to making pretend saves. It's what he does all day here at the hockey shop before it opens, at least, and he gets busy with the customers. But if you're looking for the Bauer Hyperlite, if you're looking to get custom options, if you're looking to order yours and maybe have it, in your hands before it's even on the shelves here at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports, make sure you give Cam a call. He's actually already got a custom fitting coming in today for the Bauer Hyperlite. Contact him. How do they get a hold of you, Cam, if they want to get a custom fit? 604-589-8299. And of course, that's why we come to the Hockey Shop here. That's why you check them out at thehockeyshop.com and give them a call if you have any questions because they're going to be able to walk you through all these options. You don't need to come into the store to get a fitting. Cam's dealt with a lot of things online over the years and he knows how to handle it. So the customizer's live, design your set, and then when it's time to order it, make sure you contact Cam at the hockey shop. You already got the local number, now we need to see if we can remember the 1-800. 1-800-567-7790. All right, so that'll do it for, for now for the Bauer Hyperlight line. Lots more coming. Uh, before we go, quick thank you, Goalie Gear Nerd with the, uh, the mask. I am very stylish today uh, and also safe. So. Shout out for the Jerry Cheever's mask. I love it. Uh, Cam, we'll talk to you. We'll talk to you soon. It, it's the best part of walking into the hockey shop. The hockey shop.com uh, source for sports. Surrey is just picking out those like Cam doing all that. He's, he's excited about the new gear, but Woody, uh, you talk about it all the time. Just being able to walk over and try on the uh, Hyperlite uh, trapper or, or, or glove and uh it's it's the coolest thing yeah and i think that um you know he was making imaginary saves throughout that segment <laughs> at the beginning at the end thought he was going to yeah. catch me with a little blocker pop at one point um i was thinking of just like ending the segment by feeding him a few blocker shots over the top rope but um that you know with that new like that new rebound boost core they've got um, and the stiffness of that Bauer blocker. And we talked about how actively pucks sort of rocket off that thing. I kind of had visions of doing some damage and, uh, you know, camp struggles at the best of times. So I, I decided to hold off and, and not do 
cause any more problems with his processing. We've seen him try and remember that 1-800 number. It's painful, right? It's painful. Siri, not Suri, has had to correct him (laughs) so many times. I just figured that, you know, the combination of that stiff blocker and even with a soft right hand like mine, we might have, we might have, we might have had problems. So we laid off. We, and you guys did do a great job of talking about the, the, the changes, because when you look at one blocker line to the next year, uh, we don't see massive advancements uh, generally. It's it's one of the ones where you have to really uh, look into. But you ever, and, and Instagram is is the source of, of my inspiration for this comment. You look back at, uh, at a hockey card from 1989 or 1991, like blockers were huge, like massive. Well, gloves too, right? Like for all the yeah. obs- obsessing over you know, how much smaller goalies used to be back then. And yeah, sure, the pads, I mean, although some of them, you know, they were like 14 inches wide, they weren't as tall and they didn't butterfly. But like, I remember John Davidson used to have this line, like some of the catcher's gloves, like they were like fishing nets and the blockers were, the blockers were as big as the freaking pads are now. They were just yes, here. Absolutely. I know, a couple of ones, yeah. Yeah, so, it's but hey, like they probably were heavy too. So you had to be, you had to have some, so you had to have real strength to just move those things around. I, I'd probably just get my arms would be tired on those things. I'm used to the latest and the greatest, the lightest and the, and the brightest, all the new stuff that weighs nothing. Uh, a couple of uh, generations down the road when they, they send us the, the, the tweaks and the updates on Sensorina VR and Sensorina uh, system where you're, you're going through and you're, you're playing goal and you're watching those shots come at you. It has to be, whether you can put on the 80s goalie gear and and be able to be able to look at yourself as a as a goaltender in the 1980s I mean, that, that's way down the road that's asking a lot but that would be kind of a, a cool thing to do kick saves and puck, kick save, yeah puck save. well you, the tough part there darren is you'd have to sort of develop a sensor that punches you in the ribs every time you actually take one off a felt chest protector, right? Like you'd actually have to, you know, be like the, the old like shockwave system to let you know that, yeah, you're playing in old gear and it hurts when you get hit. So I don't know that I want that, but it'd be fun to sort of see. We'd, we'd put Hutch in. Hutch would have to do that. Yes. I watched last night, uh, somebody took a, like a 60 foot shot. It was just a sifter that came in, but nobody in front and the goaltender, I won't name the goaltender, but trapped it against his chest with his glove, like caught it. It hit his chest and he just trapped it uh and i'm holding my glove to my chest there's no way in 80s no way that puck gets that you're you're doing everything you can to catch it before before you didn't want it to touch your chest protector now it's like eh, i'll just trap it here well that's i I mean and not to dig too deep into this because we've had this discussion before but that right there is the biggest factor in the root of the changes francois Lair talked about it right like right now all yeah. of a sudden we can put our torso behind the puck on purpose and have this massive you know the biggest part of our body as a save mechanism instead of trying to move it out of the way and catch everything in this tiny little webbing of a glove or the face of a blocker because it hurts so darn much if you did take it off the torso uh, we'll uh, go back to the early 90s with our feature interview this week, brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR, and they continue to get it done and just knock it out of the park uh, in the world of virtual reality and the training of goaltenders. Yeah, and you know we're going to talk to Eric Fischo, and it's funny because he's a guy that we just talked about that transition between eras. This One of my favorite parts of this interview that, that Hutch did with Eric is 
sort of how he got caught in between both worlds, kind of coming up as a guy who didn't have a goalie coach, even in the National Hockey League, and then going to other teams where they did and seeing the difference and how much further ahead a guy like Jose Theodore was when he arrived in Montreal because he had Roly Melance in there. And he talked about some of the things that he would do differently in this interview, like training, and he talked about mental training. And I think that's a part of Sense Arena. When I listen to this interview, I think Eric Fischel would probably really have appreciated having something like Sense Arena during his career because it's not just about being able to put yourself in a real goaltending environment and manage things like box control and work your hands and make actual saves without actually hitting the ice. It's about training your brain. And that's a part of Sense Arena that I think has been overlooked um, because it's cool to see all the, you know, all the images in the video of guys making saves, but there are also real immersive, like in that world, 3D tracking objects, multi-dimension, multiple object tracking drills, uh, visual drills, eye drills, brain training exercises, where you're, you know, trying to read numbers and, and sequence things, but while looking around a screen, not just you know, looking at dots, like looking around a player who's trying to screen you and these different numbers pop up, just like we used to put different numbers on a ball and try and call them out. So taking brain training and putting it in this virtual world in a way that feels like also part of a more goaltending style environment, those are just one of the things that Sense Arena does. And uh, I think it's a part that maybe gets overlooked sometimes because it's all included in it. You don't have to go out and buy other brain training tools and exercises. It's all part of this package with Sense Arena. And as you listen to this interview with Eric Eric Fischold, I think there's probably elements of that that he would have liked having when he started playing goal. Check it out because it is one of the best investments that you can make in your own game. Sense Arena VR and the world of virtual reality that is tailor-made. It's not just taking something that's has some benefits to goaltending. It's designed for goaltending and it is a sponsor for our Feature interview this week, Eric Fischel, who uh, broke into uh, the world of professional goaltending off a star-studded uh, junior career in Chicoutimi, and he was uh, just right in the middle of an incredible era for Quebec goaltenders. And uh, just not, not the golden era, but it was sort of the fall of that first generation coming off of Patrick Waugh and uh, just spawned some some. Fabulous athletes and fabulous stories. Uh, Eric Fischel, a first-round draft choice, and uh, now does the uh, television work on the teeth and hair side of it, the TV uh, sports. Uh, he's fabulous to listen to, and he has some really unique perspectives from spending time in the American Hockey League to goalie coaching to who is your goalie coach sometimes. And he spans a couple of different uh, uh, time frames in that. It's our feature interview presented by Sense Arena, Sense Arena VR. Here's Eric Fischel with David Hutchison. Welcome, Eric Fischot. Eric is currently an analyst on TVA Sports, which is a French-language TV broadcaster in Montreal, covering games all around the National Hockey League. More importantly, as so many broadcasters are, Eric is a goaltender. He was selected 16th overall in the 94 NHL draft and had a decade-long pro career that included stops on Long Island, Edmonton very briefly before moving on to Nashville, and uh, seasons in Carolina, and finally home in Montreal. So, Eric, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, David. Thank you. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you just to get, get rolling, and I think you already answered offline, up, off top, was do you still play? 
you know what? I, I once I retired from uh, from hockey, I did play for maybe five six years in a beaver league uh, yeah. with a bunch of guys from uh, well from my area. Actually, there's some you know there's a lot of ex NHLers playing. A guy like Eric Desjardins, Steph Matteau, Donal Odette, and uh, uh, I was I was even playing with uh, I was even playing with Rich Perron. Remember Rich Perron? I played yeah, uh, yeah, for years sure. in the NHL. He was the other goalie, so uh, it's kind of a rare thing playing the beer league and having two guys that play in the NHL as goalies because usually sure. it's always the hardest position uh, to to find guys. So uh, yeah, we had we had a lot of fun, but uh, I haven't put the equipment for uh, five years now. Well, and that was my next question going to be, did you do it as a goaltender? Because so many guys don't want to put the pads on again, but maybe want to lace them up as a player and score some goals. I wish I could have, but the league was way too good for me. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I could probably play with like real beer league players, but guys that play in the in the show, no way. I mean, I couldn't uh, I couldn't fall with those guys. So I decided to, uh, to stay in goal just for, uh, you know, at least, at least because the, the league was good enough, we had some, you know, we had some good shots and it wasn't too bad for beer league. It wasn't too, too much of two on ones and two on O and breakaways all the time. It wasn't that bad. Well, it's nice to know you had a beer league experience like the rest of us. <laughs> so, uh, well, maybe it wasn't quality wise, but it sounds like it was on the ice in some ways, but look, let's, uh, let's go back to the beginning. So you grew up uh, in Anjou, which is a suburb of Montreal. It's in that northeast corner of the island of Montreal where it really was a hotbed for goaltenders, like your neighborhood. Um, probably more NHL goalies per square kilometer in northeast Montreal than anywhere else on the planet. Isn't that true at the time? Yeah, you're right. Guys uh, before me, obviously, Stéphane Fissette is from uh, from Anjou. Uh, Felix Podvin was from that area also. Marty Brodeur was from Saint-Léonard, which is right next to it. Uh, yeah, Exactly. So there's some guys, uh, um, a lot of good goalies came from that that area. Obviously, growing up, the, the guy I was, you know, I was uh, trying to imitate was Patrick Watt, like a lot of uh, young French sure. uh, Quebecer goalies in, in, in that time. I mean, he was everyone's idol. So growing up, everyone wanted to be Patrick Watt. As I got older, uh, I had the chance to meet Stéphane Fissette that, was coming to hockey school where I where I um, I was uh, attending and um, I became kind of friend with him and he was kind of my uh, my mentor when I was uh, around I don't know 14 15 years old uh, until I uh, I got to junior and and because I was drafted by Shkudimi uh, Sangme and and the guy before me was Felix Podvin and uh, so I I start to uh, I remember trying to imitate Felix, you know, his equipment, the way he was, his style, the way he was playing, you know. And uh, so he I had a few guys that I uh, I look up to when I was growing up. I was, and I noticed that you'd come after Felix and then just doing a little bit of background research, somebody put a photo up of, and we'll get to your, your draft and so on a little bit later, but somebody put a photo up of you in a Leafs jersey. And I thought, no, that guy made a mistake. That's a picture of Podfan. But uh, so you, there was a lot of similarities between the two of you. Well, I, I guess when I first got to Shkodimi, all I could hear was, oh, Padvin did, did this or he did that. And, and, and then, you know, he had so much success in Shkodimi before me. So when I got there, obviously, I tried to mold my game around, you know, the, 
around him, the way he was playing, you know, is even the way he was uh, taping his stick with, with the black yeah. tape. And, and, and I remember trying to do the same thing and trying to, you know, just um, fix my pads the, the same way as, as he did. And, uh, you know, he was, um, he was a guy that I, I was trying to imitate. So maybe that's one of the reasons, if you look at hockey cards during that time, I kind of look uh, like him. I mean, just a picture wise, not, not the whole, not the whole game, but uh, yeah. And, and, and as you, I think as you get older, you, you find your own style of playing, you know, you, you start to have your own, uh, your own ways to, uh, to play the game. But around 18, 19, obviously I was trying to kind of be him, but uh, it changed a little bit after that. Probably got tiring hearing Felix this, Felix that when you were in junior. So you just went out and one-upped them by winning the Memorial Cup and then getting drafted in the first round. So good job dealing with that pressure. <laughs> well, thanks. The, the fact that I got drafted by Toronto, yes. where, that's where Felix was. Well, that didn't help my cause no. <laughs> uh, for, 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 uh, for that. But, but um, he was so nice to me my first training camp. Um, I mean, he, I, you know, I had a hard time... Uh, speaking English when I got to Toronto. So uh, being the first the first pick, having the pressure of being the first pick, plus dealing with the whole media thing wasn't easy for an 18-year-old kid. Incredible. But uh, he was good to me, and uh, I, had a, I had a good camp. I had a lot of fun. It, was, it, it went really fast. You know, from, from winning the, uh, the, the Quebec Cup, going to the Memorial Cup, being drafted. Next thing you know, you're in the room with Pavin, Don Gilmore, you know, all the big all the big guns. So it was, um, it was a, it was a good moment for me, but, but again, it, it happened so fast. It takes a little time to adjust, you know, what's it like when you grow up in Montreal and you're drafted by the dreaded Toronto Maple Leafs? You know what? I, uh, I think the, just being drafted in the NHL, it, it didn't matter where it was. I mean, okay. I, I was so nervous. I don't even remember half. I don't, I don't remember Gary Bettman calling my name. And walking to the stage, you know, to put the jersey on and meeting, the, the, going to the Toronto Maple Leafs table with Pat Burns and all the, wow. all the, 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 the Leafs staffs. I mean, it happened so fast. I, all I remember was hugging my parents, you know, and, and, you know, next thing you know, I'm, I'm at, uh, I'm behind a microphone doing a press conference, trying to answer questions. And so it was, it was kind of a surreal moment for me. I didn't think about, well, they have this guy or they have this, that guy, you know, it's, it's just, it's just a moment you try to enjoy. And, and after, after my, uh, my training camp, that was all different. Now you, you, you got the taste of the NHL. You, you, you kind of expect, you know, more to ex what to expect from an NHL level of play. But uh, before that, honestly, it was just kind of, it was, it was more of a dream than the real thing. Uh, must, must've been an incredible dream. Did you have a feeling for who might pick you? Had some teams expressed no, interest? You, you know what? The worst thing for drafts play for, for players that are going to be drafted is the list. You know, the, the famous list of the best prospects and everyone tells you not to look at the list, but it's, I mean, you see your name, you see a number next to your name and you always expect you're going to be drafted around that time. I remember, I remember meeting Washington twice. Actually, I flew to Washington to meet David Poyle and the staff and i know they liked me and i think my memory is correct they had two drafts during that draft and they draft other players you know so there's so many so many things that can happen that uh 
um, I never talked to the Leafs, to be honest with you. So there's okay. only a few things that I didn't talk before the draft. Montreal Canadiens was one of them. The Leafs were the second team that I didn't talk to. So sometimes you go, uh, you go in a meeting, you come, you come back after, and you, you have a good feeling, and you're like, oh, I think they like me, but you know, they have so many people on their list. It's kind of, it's hard to tell. I think you, you just want to enjoy the moment and not think about your uh, your rank too much. But it's a hard thing to do, obviously. Of course, it is. Right from youth kids getting drafted into junior, right up to the NHL. I'm yeah, hundred yeah. percent sure. Okay, so you you brought up Felix, so I just have to ask you. A uh, couple of questions, because I've got an old set of Felix Podvan pads sitting in the garage, my very favorite ones ever. <laughs> uh, what was your favorite setup for yourself? Do you have a set of gear oh. that you really remember and being proud of? You know what? When, when I, my my whole, uh, I would say, minor hockey until probably junior, I was playing with Vaughn. So uh, I, I like that equipment. As I turned pro, for some reason, I started playing with Coho. And uh, obviously, Felix was playing also with Coho, so I, I kind of get used to those uh, those those pads and that kind of style. And it was during the time that uh, Marty Brother was playing with, uh, I believe, it was Heaton, uh, right. and uh, I think it was more of a strategic thing because Brother was in in New Jersey and I was in Long Island. They didn't want two guys having the you know the the same. Uh, uh, the same brand, or uh, so I was. Um, I was the the coho. Uh, I had the coho uh, gear. I, I I must. I think my first or my first two years, they were probably my best set of uh, of equipment. But when I look back, I look so small compared to those guys now. I mean, I'm a smaller guy, but even equipment wise, it was before the rules and everything. I could have cheated way more than I did. I tell you that. Yeah, and they were <laughs> oh, a lot yeah. wider too. But yeah, the upper exactly. body, upper body is 100% different. My upper body was way bigger back then, obviously, than goalies that you see now. But uh, my pants were small. I mean, if, yeah. if I could go back, I would change that right away. You know what? I didn't put a lot of thought in my equipment. And that, that probably was my mistake. For some reason, I just, you know, I I was happy with what I had. But I know other guys, they, they, they work on their equipment. They work on their pads and pants and and there's a lot of things. If I could go back in time now, knowing what I know, I would change a lot of things about my equipment. My first of all, my pants would be twice as the size that I had. So yeah. right there, you, you you have a you know I was five eleven hundred sixty five pounds seventy pounds. So I mean, can you imagine playing the NHL now with that size? That's that would be impossible, I think. Uh, Soros and you, I guess, eh? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, there's 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 not too many guys left around that size. I mean, you got a guy like. Like uh, Yaroslav Alak doing it, yeah. um, I have so much respect for the younger guys because the game changed, the, the style evolved, and the style evolved around big guys. So everything you see now, you got to be six three to be able to play that style. I think we're actually starting to see some evidence. I think with some of the teams that we're talking to, looking at data, I think there's going to be more of an acceptance of guys that are a little bit smaller. And and you and I were talking earlier before we hopped on here about how the game has evolved so what what have you seen over over your career as a broadcaster now you've you've been obviously following the game much more closely than than most people do um what have you seen as as an evolution in the in the goaltenders game over the last let's say decade you know what there's always a tendency um a new technique a new approach and when i played i'm sure you remember that 
the paddle down was the big thing. You know, yeah. actually, Philippe Podvin was doing it. Uh, Curtis Joseph was doing it. Ed Belfort, they were big on the paddle down because guys were doing the wraparounds a lot uh, during that era. And yeah. uh, they were trying to beat guys in their feet. And having the paddle down, you would cover a lot of, you know, the lower part, lower part of the net. As the years went by, that's what I see in, in, in hockey is the players adjust the game. Uh, you know, if if a goalie is going to go paddle down, they're going to try to get a different angle to go high. So that's that's yeah. the first that's the first part of the I noticed. But uh, you can get, go back twenty years now. But if if you look ten years, the last ten years, what you see now is, I think for so many years the goalie's been having a hard time to uh, to play the game in in dead angles. You know, getting beat by those yep. angle shots and Towards the end of uh, my my years as a pro, we uh, Roly Melasso was my goalie coach in Montreal, and I remember him trying to teach us the the VH, trying to get okay. the VH to be able to stop those kind of angle shots from down low. And uh, now, obviously, goalies don't use the VH anymore as much; it's more the reverse VH. Um, and what like the same thing is happening now that happened twenty years ago players are starting to adjust. So 20 years ago, because of the, the paddle down, what happened is forwards, instead of doing the wraparound, they would go a little further, further try to get that, that angle and go high. But now what you see is if the guy goes down the wing, he's going to go high and hard. If he's got no other plays, he's not going to go low. He's going to go high. And sometimes goalies get beat, even big guys. Even if you're 6'4", yeah. there's always that hole. And guys are so good now, they'll get that spot. So... I think it's it's a it's a cycle. Goalies find something new to try. It works for a while, and after player adjust their game, and and now you you can see the forwards are starting to catch the goalies off guard, uh, because it's been overused. That's a problem. It's a good technique, but it's been overused. I think in the last few years. Yeah, In- interesting point you brought up there because we often have these discussions of. Uh, you know, reverse VH versus the old timers. They say, just stand up on your post and you'll stop everything. But, but really, yeah. um, you know, there was a time when we learned that just standing on the post didn't work. And I hadn't really thought about that connection between paddle down as being the solution. And, and so for everybody who's seen paddle down out there, let's remember that there was a time standing on your post didn't work. And I think it was Kelly Rudy yeah. told us he, he may have been the first guy to actually use the the paddle down technique. Yeah. Well, it, I know I liked it because, you know, the, the guys were, you know, the, the whole game was around the net and trying to catch goalie in their, in their feet, especially guys that would stand up on wraparounds, which is almost impossible if you, you know, if you, if you think about it. But at one point, that's what they were doing. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I mean, it, it's like anything else. I mean, there's always, uh, there's always good technique if you overuse it. People's going to know, you know, now with videos and you analyze the goalie and even the reverse VH. I mean, it's good. It's I, I understand why they use it. It's good if if it's a it's a dead angle shot. Like, I mean, it has to be like really in a corner, I think. Sure. Yeah. Some guys are, are using it even if they could just play the normal butterfly, I think. But being on your feet, I mean, it, the longer you can stay on your feet, the better it is. I th- I like the mix of both. I mean, if you can use that technique, but also be on your feet for to be able to push in a pass. I think I think now in Montreal, Price 
I think we might see Carey Price being on his feet a little bit more, maybe with the change of goalie coaches and maybe the whole mentality around it. I mean, I'm 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 looking forward to see how Sean Burke is going to bring something new to his game. Yeah, as are we, and we published a piece on that that got referenced on Hockey Hockey Night this this weekend. But but you're right there. You're in Montreal. You're talking to people in Montreal. So so what yeah. what do you expect to to change over the next little while with with Kerry and Sean and 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 Alan as well? Well. I, I actually played a little bit with Sean Burke in, uh, I think it was 97, Team Canada. I was the third goalie behind. He was the number one, obviously. Uh, I remember uh, Rick Tabaracci. He was the backup. Right. And it was three different styles. And I learned a lot from, from, from Berkey. Obviously, he's a big, he was a big guy. Well, even then, obviously, he was one of the biggest goalie. Uh, now, they're all the same size almost. but uh, And he was a guy that, that would play his game a little deeper. And I think... That's what we're going to see. We might see Price. I'm not saying he's going to be in the next Enric Longris, but he's going to be a little, maybe like a, a feet, a little behind. So it might help him to be able to get those, uh, you know, side to side passes. Or uh, and the fact that Price is six three, two hundred thirty pounds. He's a big not guy. A small so man. he can afford. <laughs> no, he's not a small guy, and he's got good feet. I think one of the main reasons you see goalies playing deep is a lot of times they don't have a, they don't have good feet. I think Lundqvist, one of the reasons he did that, I don't think he's that, that good of a skater compared to Carey Price. Price has great feet. He's quick on his feet. So, so he's, he was able to play all those, all those years, even if he was a little in, you know, further, further up. But, but with, with Burt, I think they're going to try to bring him a little bit back. So you won't have to move as much to get to push in a pass. Or, so maybe that's going to help him to be on his feet a little bit more. One of the things that I that I, I enjoy about what you're doing is the, is that you're covering games all around the league. There's so many broadcasters are are sort of by necessity forced into working with one of the divisions, but the model at TVA has you covering games all around the league. So, yeah. um, what have you seen in the goaltenders this year? Maybe a couple of guys that wouldn't stand out to those of us who are following, you know, one division in particular. Who are some sort of new stories to you this year, or or maybe sleeper goaltenders who are having performances that maybe people who are focused on one part of the league wouldn't be noticing. Well, I've been doing a lot of games in, uh, in Canada. Obviously we, we mm -hmm. focus a lot of Canadian teams. Uh, there've been some great matchup and uh, a guy, a guy that I saw a little bit last year, even more during the bubble was Thatcher Demko. And when <laughs> obviously, you know, being where you are right now, um, I mean, you have the chance to see him a lot and, uh, for a big guy to be able to move that well, it's impressive. And and I think he's got a potential to be, I think he's got another gear to his to his game, another gear to his game. And uh, once he reaches that gear, if he can have some consistency, he's going to be a solid guy for a long time in this league. That's what I think. Um, last year during playoff, I think it was against Vegas, he was just unreal. It's I mean, you can see it? the potential. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that might be one of the reasons that when they signed um, Olby, they were willing to give him two years because they figured maybe in two years, Demko's going to reach the level that we think he might get. And I still believe he's going to get that to that level. Uh, I don't know him personally. I mean, I, I never met him, but just his game, he's got a good technique. I, I like goalies that, I don't like robots. I like goalies that have a good technique, but I mean... They're gonna to react to the game a little bit. It's only the you foundation. Know, sometimes yeah. the young guys, yeah. Sometimes young young goalies, 
they'll just go in, you know, like butterfly, boom, you know, they don't move much. It, it's, it can be good sometimes, but, you know, you have to, you need some, uh, I think a mix of both is a good thing for goalies now. Yeah. Ironically, as we're talking about the RVH maybe being overused, there's Thatcher Demko's a guy who uses it probably more than anybody else. Uh, he does, but success. he's six, he's six, six, what, six, six? Not quite that big, but, um, but he's drilled that technique too. He just works so hard at it and, and, and uses it so well. Um, okay. So, so back to Montreal because, and, and, and let's just tie this to your career because you, um, spent a season in Nashville, their very first season in the league. What's it, yeah. what's it like going to an expansion team, uh, in their first season? What's Nashville like? What was the experience as a player? Um, tell us right. about that. It, well, in your intro, you were saying I was in Edmonton just for a little while, and it, you know I was there On for paper, one month. Wasn't it? I think. Yeah, 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 exactly. So you actually was, got there. I, 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 yeah, you know, I, yeah. I got there. I made a training camp. I don't think Van Seder was a big fan of me. So <laughs> after my uh, towards the end of the camp, I remember uh, Ron Lowe who was the coach at that time. Uh, we had two back-to-back games. It was, I think, it was towards the end of the training camp, so there must have been three or four exhibition games left. So he told me, as he goes, Bob, Bobby Asenza was with with me at that yep. time. He said, Bob's going to play that tonight, and you're going to play tomorrow. So I'm like, no problem. So I finished the practice. After practice, someone tells me, Ron wants to see you in his office. All right, I just spoke to him like an hour ago. <laughs> so I get to his office and you're like, well, Fish, I don't know what to tell you. We just trade you to Nashville, just like that. So I'm like, all right. So I went to Nashville. For me, going to Nashville in my head was like, okay, it's my second chance. I just came from a shoulder surgery in New York. And it was like a new start for me. So I knew I had to be, it was Mike, Mike Dunham was the goalie with me. Mm-hmm. He came from Jersey. He was Marty Brothers' backup, so he didn't have the chance to play a lot because you know he was behind one of the best of all time. So when I got to Nashville, um, you know what? It was a good experience because you know we we're being new in the city. Uh, it, it was the first year of the team. The people were uh, people were looking forward to have a hockey hockey team in Nashville. So the whole the whole thing with the country music that was fine for me personally as a goalie. They told me right up the start. They said, "Listen." We're going to start with Mike Dunham. And as long as he played good, he's going to be the number one guy and we'll, you'll get your chance eventually. The thing is, that was probably the best year of Mike Dunham's career. <laughs> he was <laughs> he was unbelievable. So I had to wait, wait, wait. And at one point, I believe he got hurt. I think it was against the Rangers. So I, I, I got in, played a few games. I got hurt also. So we both hurt. So, so what happened next? Well, there's someone named uh, Thomas Vokum that was playing the minor. And, you know, when you say the rest is history, well, that's that's pretty much what happened. Vokum start, started to play really well. And by the, by the time the year finished, he was almost number one guy. So I, I knew my time in Nashville was over. So hockey-wise, it wasn't that good of a moment for me, even if the city was fine and everything. So they trained me. I went from Nashville to, to the Hurricanes. And uh, I actually enjoyed my time with uh, with the the Hurricanes. I had uh, we had a good bunch of guys. Uh, my the number one guy was uh, Arthur Irby. right? Uh, great, great, great guy. Great character. Hardest working. I wouldn't say goalie. I would say player. I've ever been with. He was a machine on off the ice. And I 
I had I didn't have a I didn't have a goalie coach. I had I remember Steve Weeks was the goalie coach, but he was only there like one a week a month. So um, it was still during a time where goalie coaches were not a big part of you know teams. Uh, so my goalie coach was almost was Irby pretty much, and he, oh, he really? had his own thing going. Yeah, well, he was the only guy that I could work with because no, nobody else, you know, was with us on the ice every day. But uh, it was a good experience for me because just watching a guy like that work so hard, he could be on the ice for three hours every day. I never seen anything like this. So um, it helped me for my you know my my work habit, but. Uh, I didn't play a lot because he was playing almost every game, but I said I had some uh, I had some good time in Carolina. And by the end of the year, they put me on waivers, and that's how I end up with Montreal. Oh, so I've been all, I've go. been all over. <laughs> <laughs> so, so wow, so many threads to pull on there from goalie coaches to uh, goalie partners. Um, let's let's go to expansion though. Um, you put your broadcaster hat on now. Who do you think? Uh, who do you think you see playing net for Seattle a year from now? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I'm I'm wondering if um, happened with Mark Andre Fleury. If is Vegas going to keep him? They have to protect one guy. The fact that Leonard is signed for a few years. I mean, if you look what Fleury did in 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 Vegas, I mean he. I mean, the first year that he got to, to Vegas, not not only did he play. Like his good years in Pittsburgh, but you know he brought the team to final, almost won the cup. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if if a team like uh, like Seattle you know, try like a guy you know with with a veteran like that instead. Of, they might go with a, a young guy, a young guy also. But having a veteran like Flurry, who's like the the best teammate you can find, is a is a great goalie still. Having a great season, um, I don't know. That's a name that uh, has been I've been. Seeing that a lot on the news, you know, maybe Flurry would be a good uh, good addition to uh, to Seattle. And uh, and your local team there in Montreal might have a little bit of a problem with the draft because you've got Kerry, you got Jake Allen playing yeah. very well as well. Maybe you know potentially one of the best tandems in the league, as well as you know Vegas yeah, and the sure. Island, a few other places. But uh, what do you think is going to happen yeah. there in Montreal? Well, I think uh, for I would say. Maybe the last seven years, one of the problem always been the backup goalies with Price. I mean, we we they were looking for a guy that we uh, not, would be able to win games for them. Uh, they would be able to you know to rest Price when he needed to because um, the problem we've been having in Montreal, and I think it's the same problem they have in Toronto. Is there's never a good time to put the backup because if, sometimes it's back to back games and you need you need that win, and more you wait. You know, to play the backup, the harder is going to get because towards the end of the year, you need those wins. So now you got to play your number one even more. And same thing happened in Toronto. So um, this year, the difference is Jake Allen's been good since day one, even better than Price sometimes. Mm-hmm. And and having having a good backup, it's it's a luxury now because you know the time the Price needed to find his game, you know, his game back. Well, at least you had, you had a guy that could win some games for Montreal. So Allen's mm-hmm. been even better than I thought he would be. You know, some guys are they're depending of their role. A guy like Jake Allen, I mean, he was a number one for some years in St. Louis. But if you look at this, the way they've been using him now, I maybe because he's older and you know he's at different point of his 
career, but I think it's a good it's a good setup for him being you know like a number two guy that is able to play maybe 30 games in in the normal season. Um, but it's a good addition for Montreal and and you know a backup goalie. People sometimes they'll talk about backup like they're nothing, but if you don't have a good backup goalie, you'll miss playoffs because if your backup gets you I don't know 12 wins, that's 24 points. Without that's those points, you're not in playoffs. Yeah, yeah, that's massive. And of and, course, your and, starter's and, not going to play and, as and well either. Exactly. The thing is happening in Toronto. Well, right now, Anderson is hurt, but even be, even before this year, we always hear, "Well, Anderson's been playing way too much game. They give too many shots." But the, one of the reasons he was playing too much game is too many game is the backup couldn't you know couldn't do his job. Now with Campbell, seems to be you know finding his way in Toronto. Maybe they, they, you know, eventually they'll be able to rest Anderson a little bit more. So once, once the end of the season and the playoff starts, you know, you'll be able to go and you know play some high quality hockey. And like any big market, that goes from now we have a good backup to now we have a goalie controversy. Yeah, well, it's always the same thing. We had, we we had it in, <laughs> in Montreal with 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 Price and Halak, and and it's funny though in Boston. I'm sure sometimes if 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 Tuka Rask having a really hard time and Halak is playing well, I mean they'll they'll be like, okay, who's the number one guy? But for for the most part, they all know Halak is the backup. He's one of the best perfect. in the league, and, and, and yeah. So I think it's the the perfect setup they have it in Boston. So as we went through your career, we sort of. You sort of wrapped up where it all began as a as a youngster in Montreal, and you got that opportunity to pull on the Habs jersey. Um, can you describe what it's like to pull that jersey on and step onto the ice for the first time, even though you'd already been in the league for a while? Yeah. You got to feel like a kid again. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. Uh, even if it was, uh, you know, it was during a time where I was trying to get back to, you know, being a, a, like a NHL goalie because I've been, you know, battling injuries, going, you know, minor up and down. And so the time in Montreal for me was, was maybe a little different. I mean, I was... I appreciate the fact that, you know, I was in Montreal playing for the Canadians, you know, the team I was watching growing up. But for me personally, I was trying to get back in, in the game, trying to find my the level of, of play that I wanted to, which I was so far away from that. And, and a funny story talking about the goalie stuff. When I got to Montreal, when I find out, Paul Maurice asked me to, to come to his office and he said... Uh, going home kid i'm like what do you mean i'm going home he goes montreal just just pick you up on waivers so you're going to montreal i called my dad and i said you know dad i'm gonna gonna come with the, the canadians so obviously we were happy in the whole thing but my first practice oh yeah when i got to the eyes with with josie theodore which is a guy that i know my whole life um jeff Hack yeah jeff hackett was there also and uh, roly Melasso was there so when i got when i got on the eyes with those guys and we're doing some drills and two-on-one drills and trying to work some, you know, technical oh. stuff. And this is exactly where I realized how far behind I was compared to those guys. Oh, it was like, and and the fact that, you know, Roly was there every day with those guys on the ice. And I didn't have a goalie coach for pretty much, you know, the whole time I was playing pro. And I was like, wow, I'm so far behind. Just the way they were, they were moving their legs and, you know, the, the whole like, Get, getting up on you know on the right leg and stuff like that. So I was like, even Teal, I was like, wow, you're in different level now. You know, if, I mean, me and him, 
we're even junior, we're always pretty much the same level of play. You know, I might have made the NHL a little bit before him, but that was like four years after, and he was like way, way ahead, like not even close. And and it kind of hurt me. I was like, I gotta, I got some work to do if I want to get back to that game because I'm way, way behind with all the technical stuff. And Roly helped me. Unfortunately, you know, I was a little, I was older and, and the other guys were so far ahead. I was never able to get back to the level that I wanted to. It's uh, it's amazing how circumstances can change things for everybody and, and what opportunities and, and what people you have to work with. And so you didn't have many goalie coaches over, over that pro career. Who, who, who were, who were good influences for you as, as you developed as a goaltender, who supported you? When I was in New York, uh, Gilles Gilbert was was my goalie coach, and he was such a great, he, yeah, exactly, and and he was such a great guy. But unfortunately, it was during a time where goalie coach were not uh, as important as it is now for for a lot of teams. And in New York, you know, I mean, Jill Jill was there like maybe a week during the whole month. Sometimes he was there even less. So. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I liked him, it was hard for me to, you know, get some uh, some technical stuff because not only he, he was from a different era of of goal of goalie technique goalie technique, but he wasn't there enough for me. And even after that, until I got to the Canadians with Roly, I didn't have a guy with me on every day on the ice. So uh, I was pretty much trying to survive out there, being a small goalie. I was fast, but I was out of control. You know, I, I was doing things that I, I thought I could do. You know, like I, I didn't have anyone to do some videos with me and teach me the real technique. And it's amazing um, it, the difference it could have made. And once I got to Montreal, well, I was already like a minor guy now. And you're, you're like the, you know, like you're, if you play a few years in a minor, the windows pretty much, you know, shut down. So it's, it's shut tight. It's like, okay, he's a minor guy. You might, you might get the call once in a while if they need a goalie, like an emergency third, third goalie. But uh, it's hard to get back in a game once you, once you, you leave it. It really is, and uh, that window is is so short, especially for a Canadian goaltender. I think coming out of junior when you're so young, and then yeah. if, if you don't earn that spot quickly. And yet we see um, there's there's a the window seems to be a little bit longer for Europeans these days. You can play a little pro over there, come over yeah. here twenty three, twenty four, and and still get that opportunity. Uh, wh- why do you think the Canadians and and you know the Americans as well don't get that same opportunity as they're a little older? Well, I think you made a good point. The fact that they have that option to play in Europe and play some yeah. really good league, and and you, it, maybe it's better to come in the league a little older. And you might you maybe it's better if you wait until you're 24, but you might play until you're 35 or something, and you might play at I don't know 12 years or even more, and and you're more mature. You 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 have time to work on your game. When I played, I was 20 years old. I mean, I was way too young. I I should have seen a minor at least a full year, maybe two years. It would have been good for me playing a lot of games. That's the hardest part, I think, for any young goalies. You used to play a lot of games. Once you get to the NHL level, uh, depending which team you're playing with, you know you might only see twenty something games your first year. So you you mm-hmm. you went from playing sixty games a year, or maybe less now. Guys don't play as much, but fifty games a year, playing twenty something games. And I think the guy that's been playing the minor fifty games every year 
compared to the guy that's been playing 15 or maybe 20 games in the NHL, I guarantee you in a few years, he's going to be way ahead of even of the guy in the NHL, even if he wasn't a minor. Because play, there's nothing better than playing for your development, I think. So um, yeah, it, it's better to wait for a guy. Like Montreal right now, they have a good, pros good prospect, Caden Primo. So it's better for him to play 50 games in Laval than, than play behind Price 12 games a year, even if it's NHL games, I think. 100%. And I think we've talked to lots of people that that sort of have models that show you need X number of games at whatever yeah. level before you're ready to make that jump, especially because goaltending is really a, you know, a game of learning to read patterns, isn't it? It's not just technique. Yeah, yeah and you know what? You know what? Well, it happened to me. If, if you don't play for a long time, when I was with the Hurricane, I think I only played nine games or something. And you, you get those long stretch of not playing. And you're sit, sitting on the bench and, and something happened like a, like a play. And you're like, how would I play? You know, how, how would I um, try to stop a puck on, on different plays? And you try, you know, you start questioning yourself about, you know, would I go, would I stay up? And, and you, you, you think way too much about how you would stop a puck in different situations because you're not doing it, you're only watching it. So practice is a good thing, but you need games. Games is a different world. You need, you need to see those, uh, uh, those situations, I think, to improve. And um, any young goalies that are not playing, I think it's a bad thing. Make sure the guy plays a lot of games. Even if you wait two or three years to uh, to give him the call to play in the NHL, once you know, once he start playing, you know, if, if you look at a guy like Price, the difference with Carey Price, even if he was young when he came with the Montreal Canadiens, he still played a lot of games as a young age. Mm -hmm. So that's a different story. But obviously, his level of talent was way above anybody else. But um, you got to be careful with young goalies. Just look at what's going on right now with Carter Hart in Philly. It's it's a hard it, it's easy to look to lose confidence and uh, it's hard to find it back. Yeah, sure is, and uh, no doubt for you, even tougher when you didn't have a goalie coach in many of those places uh, to to help you with it. Um, you know, you you alluded to to not having a goal. I mean, you didn't allude to. You told us you didn't have a goalie coach in most of those places. You talked a little bit about uh, things you might have done differently with gear. Um, just to finish up here, as you look back on your career. Um, what would you tell your a young Eric Fischel to to help him help him along, or or a young child, a young goaltender you work with today? Uh, what do you wish you knew then that you know today? I think le learning to be a professional. Um, when I look back, I mean, when I first started, um, you uh, you know, you 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 try different things. You you think that you know what to do, but but looking back, and and if if I compare my first few years in the NHL. To my last few years, the amount of work that I put, I would have worked w way harder as a young goalie when I first came in. You know, you you kind of cocky. You had some good years in junior. You think it's going to be easy. I had a good start in the AHL. I went to the All Star game. Everything was, you know, everything was going perfectly. Uh, you had no challenges. You know, it was it was just just play. You know, they say ignorance is bliss, which is true. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what to expect, so you just you play against like superstars. You don't. You think it's going to be easy, but if I could go back, I would have worked on my game way more uh, in practice. I would have worked way more in the gym. Um, that's the biggest difference. Obviously, everything evolves, and the difference from my first few years to the last of my 
of my years playing was, you know, the the the, the whole um, being in good shape uh, was important for goalies. When I first started, it was kind of a joke. You know, goalies are out of shape and they just, you know, they use their skills. But but towards the end, it was it wasn't the same. Goalies were, you know, were in good shape and they were taking care of themselves. And th- that that would be something that would I would change. I would try to get um, stronger. Um, I would work on technical stuff. You know, I know I didn't have a goalie coach, but still, I mean, I could have done something different for sure in the game, and I'm sure it would have helped me along the way. I, I love that explanation because because what you're saying is something we hear from so many people, uh, that, that importance of learning to be a pro. Mm-hmm. And yet it's hard for a lot of people to put into words what it means to be a pro because... You know, junior hockey is pretty high level these days. It's pretty professional yeah. in terms of the approach that these kids take, and yet they still yeah. get into the NHL and they say, "No, there's a different level, isn't there?" Oh, for sure. And, and it's funny now because my first camp, I was 18 years old. When I got there, I didn't even know they had some testing to do, like like VO2 max, and and, and oh, I remember yeah. I almost died on the bike, and they told me that I had the worst VO2 since Grand Fjord, and. I kind of realized that wasn't a compliment because <laughs> <laughs> Grand Fjord, I didn't have a good VO2 max, they told me. And I had a hard time finishing practice in training camp. I, I remember sleeping four hours in the, after, in the afternoon just to, you know, be able to be back the next day on the ice. And, and wow. so, you know, just knowing, knowing what it is to be a pro players makes a big difference. I mean, now it's so different. Guys are almost, you know, treating like pro players in junior, which was not the case when I played. But um, I think the guys now are way more prepared. It's, it's a different, it's a different world. But, but if I look my junior and, and the step from being to the NHL and learning to be a pro and learning to, um, to be able to uh, deal with pressure, the pressure that comes in, that, that's another thing. The mental part of the game, I think now the players work on, on that way more than when I played. You know, it was like deal with it and, you know, just go in there and play and have fun. That's the easiest thing to do, have fun. Tell you what, <laughs> when you lose games after game, it's not fun. And, and having that pressure, knowing what to do to deal with the pressure, it's a big part of being a good goalie and being consistent, I think. Absolutely. And well, you uh, you got to experience the game at the highest levels and now you're sharing it with an audience at the highest level. That's uh, it's a whole different kind of pressure you're dealing with. Uh, Eric, I think we could talk probably for two or three more hours about goaltending, but I promised I wouldn't do that to you today. So thank you so much for taking the time with us. I know uh, all our listeners are going to enjoy this. I know all the young goaltenders and the old goaltenders are going to learn a ton from your experience and we really appreciate you sharing it with us today. Well, thanks for having me, David. Anytime, it was a pleasure. One of those voices that that I know, but the modern, the young uh, athlete will have to look back and and maybe do some googling on, on Eric Bischoff. But he's a he's a guy that had some adventures during the course of his career and. Another one of those athletes who has transitioned and is really interesting to listen to. You, you don't get the cliches with Eric Bichot. And I say that as a, uh, the ultimate compliment because it's, it's hard to speak without cliches. And you, you do a great job of it, Woody, but it, it's, it's difficult. 
Well, it's because everything I say is made up. So there's no. It's like I'm just pulling it <laughs> right out of my posterior. No, you do. You do. You do a fantastic job of it. And and uh, I I sincerely mean that. And Fichot, uh is is of the same same brain waves. Yeah, I loved listening to him. I'm blushing over here, but I loved listening to him, and it made me actually wish that he was on. I mean, my. Let's just say grade 12 was a long time ago, and I don't remember much of the French I learned because I stopped at that point. I'm no longer able to help my kids with their high school French, so I would probably struggle listening to the TVA broadcast, but I kind of wish I could hear him in English, just so, or maybe I need to go back to school just so I can listen to him because he was insightful, thoughtful. Like I would love to hear him on a broadcast. It made me excited to hear what his, one of his broadcasts would be like because you feel like it would be more than just the cliches. And that's, hey, that's why so many goalies make great broadcasters because they see things from, you know, from the perspective of sort of everything that goes on. And I loved his perspective. And I loved, as I said, the perspective of a guy who was kind of part of that transition right when I was learning about goaltending. And I started learning about it on the modern technical, but he was in that wave kind of right before. And there was that crossover and he mentioned it like proper leg recovery, things that, are the you know it's one of the first things you learn now but in the 2000s which i guess this makes me old like it doesn't feel like it was that long ago there were nhl goalies that didn't do it and i remember having these interviews with these guys they're trying to add the new technique but they don't want to lose the instinct that got them there and they're fighting between those two worlds and we still see it today right and hope going through it right now in vancouver trying to add you know new things technically under ian clark without losing the flow and rhythm and he's caught in between and there was a whole generation of guys um, that were, and Eric is a perfect example that had to sort of straddle those lines and learn as they went. And I thought the way he told that story about showing up in Montreal and rolling Melanson and like the eye opening, like, Oh my, I'm behind you guys. Um, That was, that was the case for a lot of guys and credit for him to trying to learn and adapt. And, you know, I guess we're always learning and adapting in this position, but not so much as those guys had to. So it was, I loved hearing it. I loved hearing his take on it. Where do you think the Archer's Herbe legendary pads are? They should be. In, I wonder. They should be in the Hall of Fame. He's probably got them at home so he can, you know, add a few pieces or stitch up a hole yeah. still, right? Stitch like, up a hole, yeah. like it's probably a hobby for him, especially if he, as Vishal said, like three hours on the ice working the PA would have like had a fit. Now you can't even go on the ice for three hours anymore yeah. with the team function. Um, but yeah, so he, he's probably, if, if he's trying to keep busy, Archer's is probably still stitching up those white pads, but they should 100% have a, their own display at the Hockey Hall of Fame because they so are legendary. Uh, what about being compared to Grant Fuhr? Like that's a, that's a great compliment until you realize it's not a compliment. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny too. And that brings us back to, you know, like the game's changed a lot, right? Like the, and you know, but still, we still hear stories about goalies, um, that sort of, you know, they get by on talent at a young age and they get drafted and they've got to learn, you know, how many times have we heard it there learning to be a pro Chris Dreger. Yeah. Right. Like yep. sort of quote unquote late bloomer, you know, ended up in the East coast hockey league just a couple of years ago, learned some hard lessons about being a pro. And now he's, you know, fully established in the national hockey league. Um, so there's some lessons there that, you know, as much as we take it for granted that kids are learning them at younger ages and no, we don't want you to be a pro at eight. Thank you very much. But as you get into junior, um, whether it's a fee show or a Chris Dreger, listen to what they're saying on this this podcast. Listen to the lessons here, because not everybody's going to get you know opportunities to do it again or second opportunities 
um, to make, whether it's the first impression or to stick around on a, on a pro team or a junior team, you know, again, don't start it at eight years old, but you've got to start developing some of those habits on and off the ice at an, at an earlier age than, than these guys have maybe been able to get away with. Yeah. You think about the people that, uh, that didn't heed that advice or didn't get that advice to begin with and just disappear into our sphere uh, of, of Wednesday night at 11 or Saturday morning at 7 a.m. Uh, where we can get the ice time because they didn't get that opportunity. We, we know the stories and they're inspirational, but, uh, but don't become, don't become the, the Wednesday night at 11. Yeah, the uh, all roads lead to beer league t-shirt that I have. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely not. But that was the other part about Eric's interview that I loved. You know, that he, when he retired, he still played for a few years, five years, and actually took some shifts in the old uh, league North American hockey, which was Did like he ever? the toughest fighting league in, in probably the world back in those days. But he kept playing goal for a while because the level he was playing at was high enough that he couldn't just go out and skate as a forward. So he, he hasn't played for five years, he told us there, but for the first five after he retired, he is actually a goalie. And that makes him very rare because most guys... You know, they hang up those pads as soon as they're done. So special breed. I uh, I never got that. I will never get it because I just love the position too much and will play it until I can't get out there anymore. But uh, good on him uh, for doing that. Uh, uh, thanks for uh, Woody uh, for uh, the brilliant uh, conversation and the uh, commentary on that. And uh, David Hutchison for uh, fitting in the uh, the time to, uh, to make uh, Eric Fischow uh, happen. Uh, on our feature interview presented by Sense Arena, Sense Arena VR. Uh, we have a busy stretch coming up. It's going to be a, a great one. The trade deadline is right around the corner. Uh, teams are playing at least four, five games a week. Uh, if they're not in any type of pause, it's going to be a frantic stretch drive to the Stanley Cup playoffs and uh, and some major junior playoffs and uh, American Hockey League uh, as well. And we're going to dive into uh, some of those stories as we continue. But for Kevin Woodley, I'm Darren Millard. Thanks for listening to In Goal Radio, the podcast. We'll chat with you next week as we move our way along in 2021.